time to step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the Music City. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Welcome to Penalty Box Radio. This is Justin Bradford, one producer, Max Hers behind the glass. We're talking a lot tonight. Glenn Blackwell, unfortunately, not able to make it. Getting her windows replaced. I guess she got it was a check too hard into the into the glass there from her cat, and is not able to make it today. But I know Max and I'll have plenty to talk about. Plenty about the Predators, and if anything, if you hear me just not talk for a little bit, it's because I'm distracted by fourth overtime with Tampa Bay and Columbus currently getting set to go. The triple overtime just ended, and Seth Jones is a beast. Boy, remember Seth Jones in Nashville, folks? Oh, yeah, those were times. Those were times. But so much hockey to talk about. The NHL Draft Lottery took place yesterday in dramatic fashion. Gary Bettman, who probably needs a haircut, it looked like, confirming the logos on all eight balls, and then the one ball that accidentally got flubbed and dropped into the tube a little too soon before it was confirmed, so we didn't really know if it was the Rangers or not, before it was confirmed, dropped in early, and lo and behold, that is the one that gets picked up, just dissing the Maple Leafs who had the double doink off the tube to getting the ball sucked up to get picked up to determine the number one overall pick in the 2020 NHL draft. Lots of drama. I wanted more lens flare, and especially to match the music. I really thought it needed more dramatic effect with it, but it, you know what? It was cheesy, and I thought it was a lot of fun because the tense, the, the tense feelings we were all getting from the NHL Draft Lottery show was a 30-minute production for something that you know is only going to take all of what? 30 seconds to a minute to go through. But the intensity, the fun of it, because it was a day without any games, I thought it was a fun production in terms of the cheese factor because it gave us something to talk about as well to make fun of, but to make fun of in a fun way because everyone that's a hockey fan was talking about this, even if you didn't have a team in the mix. You had plenty of People talking about it. And then what we saw, too, I'm sure plenty of Predators fans did not want it to happen to where Pittsburgh got it. They didn't want Minnesota to get it for Lafayette to be in division. Obviously, Edmonton for the rich to get richer, and definitely not Toronto for the rich to get even richer, even though those two teams would not be able to afford Alexia Lafayette after three years. So, curious case, the Predators now with the 11th overall pick, which is actually a pretty good spot to be in. For the Natural Predators in a fairly deep draft, there will be options there, and we'll do- discuss more of that in the next segment. But let's look back at what happened with the Preds, and fortunately in Game 4, where it looks like overall in the series that they owned the Coyotes. They they outchanced them. They, they just weren't able to bury shots. They were outplayed by Darcy Kemper, and that's really what it seems like it came down to was a hot goaltender, and the Coyotes took advantage of the opportunities they were given because the Predators overall played better in this series and they absolutely did against Dallas. I mean, it looked like a different team out there. The power play was clicking. They were a top, what, top four, top three power play unit in the playoffs, all four games. But still, they were converting on the power play. Penalty kill was average. It's kind of all you ask for. Special teams at least be average or above average. So they did that. They got shots on net. They had high danger opportunities. They had 
average goaltending that was above average at times, but overall average. Saros played average, but he made some saves. Could you expect better? Yes. But did Saros do enough and do well enough for them to win games? He absolutely did. It fell upon the offense and depth scoring, and that's where the team failed. They were not able to get more goals out of the second, third, or even fourth line, or even the defense, to help out the first line of Johansson, Forsberg, and Arvidsson that absolutely did their jobs in the playoffs. So we look back at that. I know it's been hammered to you so much here of late, but I want to talk a little bit more about the rest of the playoffs. That's where I want to bring in Max, because Max did not grow up a Predators fan. Max, where are you from, buddy? I always love the Predators, but I'm from Pittsburgh. Right. right. So, so as we look at I this... I can just hear the booze coming from everywhere. <laughs> but it's good to get outside opinions and, and, and to discuss this because we, we need something that's not just homerish people talking, right? we we got to have outside views in this. And looking at the playoffs, there's a lot of parity that happened. Two 12-seeds winning and an 11-seed winning. And Pittsburgh being out of it, even given the talent that they have. And so you see Montreal moving on. You see Chicago moving on you see the coyotes moving on all teams that would not have been in the playoffs especially montreal i think that's the one that people are like well they were going to get swept anyways and then they move on your overall thoughts just on this best of five qualifying run series while exciting at times it's one of those things that people are going to question now is was this the best way to go about it i i I was fine with it and i like chaos happening but i know it was at the expense of what happened here in nashville because of the pandemic i have not been paying with cash very much recently Because of the change shortage, I have really not been paying with change recently, but I did find a coin to flip one for my pick for every series. And the moment this format came out, you knew. It was heads or tails. Every single series I thought was 50-50. David Poyle said a couple of times, he said it on shows on 102.5 The Game, when he watches these games and he was trying to go to every single game he could in Edmonton, even within that game... (laughs) The team that he thought played better almost never won. Oh. In the Pred series, in every series, in the games in Toronto he watched on TV, and I agree completely. I, I think the only two series where the games went to the better teams were the two with the New York teams. The Islanders mm-hmm. were significantly better than the Panthers. Absolutely. And the Panthers even winning one game was a nice accomplishment for them, I thought. The Islanders were so much better, and of course the Canes were better than the Rangers. No, yeah, I, I can agree with that. And that's what was so unique about this, too. That Well, and look at this. The veteran leadership as well, I think, played a big role in Chicago, that they have a mix of veteran leadership and a lot of youth that just chip on the shoulder. Nobody giving them any, any credit as well. And they go in there and they take care of business against two world talents who actually perform to their duties. They, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl did what they are supposed to do overall. They just they, they couldn't get it done and get over the hump. But that's what's kind of exciting about this as well is that anything can happen. Now in the first round, you could see Chicago and Montreal just getting blown out. I don't think that's going to happen with Chicago. Montreal has the potential, I think, to just be over and four, over and five type of thing unless Carey Price continue, just stands on his head. And that's what we – goaltenders, yeah. especially in this pandemic time, you get a hot goaltender where only you have to score a couple goals and they're saving you. That's all. Darcy Kemper, Carey Price, two guys that absolutely rocked it. And then Robin Lehner's going to get the start for Vegas because they like what he's done. It's not anything that Flurry hasn't done is what was said. He wasn't great in done. the one exhibition game he right. played either. I don't know yeah. if you saw that. There were some bad goals against yes. that game. They won, too. They won 6-4. to four, <laughs> But, whew, six Flower four. was sliding trapezoid to trapezoid. But you see, coaches are willing to make changes. I mean, John yeah. Hines. 
putting Saros in over Rene, but and understandably so, given the statistics that Yusuf Saros had going into the pause, and he overall looked good. And people ask, well, would the series have been different with Pecorino? I don't think the series would have been different because they still need to score goals. That's what it came down to. Yeah. So they, the Predators still need to score goals. And looking at the series, let's say, for instance, the uh, Vancouver series, a lot of young, exciting talent for the Vancouver Canucks. And the Minnesota Wild are I mean, they're the Minnesota Wild. They're, <laughs> they're not exciting to talk about. And I'm not the only one that says that. I mean, do, do you know much about the Minnesota Wild, Max? I love their jerseys. There we have it. <laughs> I know they're basically half Preds as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which keeps them relevant. Down Kevin here. Fiala. Kevin Fiala just you know is is showing that he does have the talent. Why he was picked eleventh overall when he was just took some seasoning, some time to get there. But he is becoming the face of that franchise in terms of offense as well. So it's curious just to see how this playoffs are turning out. I've overall been happy with what I've been seeing because it's been exciting to watch. And there's been so much hockey. I mean, you have hockey, especially in the qualifying round, starting at eleven a.m. Central. And then the whole day. I was disappointed today that they started what in my head seemed really late at 2 o'clock. I know, 2 o'clock. Well, why are you waiting so long to get started? Yeah. And then it goes to quadruple right, overtime. Now, now, the, now the third game of the day is four seconds away from ending before the second game of the day. Or the second game of the day before the first game of the day. And the Canes are tweeting at the NHL saying not to tattle, but we were supposed to play at 8 o'clock and the Blue Jackets, Tampa Bay Lightning won't get off the ice. It's like a travel tournament gone wrong. <laughs> it's like, mom! Get him off the ice. <laughs> share the rink, boys. You got to share the rink. There's only so much ice available. There's only two in the whole world right now. <laughs> and uh, so just happened right here. The Cal- the, the, Cal- the Calgary, as Terry Christmas said, Calgary <laughs> Flames taking out the Dallas Stars in game one, three to two. Dallas Stars are having their own problems as well. They're having some issues. They did not look good in their exhibition, not exhibition, but in their round robin games. They just did not look good overall. No, call them what they are. They were exhibition games. They're meaningless. Okay. They're, they're meaningless games for seeding, and you could tell that just the, the extra oomph wasn't there in any of those teams, really. The team, that, okay, so Max, I want to ask you out of each conference, which team looks the scariest to you out of the two conferences? I think the Avs are really scary. I fully um, agree. I think they're definitely better than Vegas. As much as I love Vegas, I think the Avs are the scary team. And I, I guess the Flyers are the team I would call scary, but I think the Islanders doing what they did in a meaningful series is kind of bumps them up a little more in my sure. head than the Flyers dominating the play at the the what are we calling them the round robins <laughs> the exhibition I robins I, I I said I watched that six four Golden Knights game that was the only round robin game I watched in either conference I don't care I did yeah I watch I had the TV on but I was multitasking it's one of those things that was background that's why I me, thought it was so, so crazy that. Game one of the Pred series was on USA. Like, I understand how TV ratings work and why they do this, but Flyers-Bruins is on NBC. That's a regular season game, while a playoff game is on channel number three. <laughs> that was insane to me. I, I understand. I will say the Flyers for me because I think they're the team that's, I want to say shocking people, but they're just coming up and with veterans and youth, and you have Carter Hart. I mean, we knew he was going to be good. He's showing why. I mean, last season. Is this his what, second full season? Yeah. Okay. Like, we knew he was going to be good, but he is coming into his own and being a pro. And then the Islanders, I don't think, because just because of the Islanders, I don't think they get enough credit. They're not talked about enough with what Barry Trotz is doing with the Islanders, especially they with what they've lost. They great against but the Panthers. They are dominant. They are dominant. And it's showing, it's showing really to really hash back here for the Preds, and people will just moan and groan. It shows what can happen when Barry Trotz has talent to work with, too. 
Well, it, it, because things change, too. I mean, ownership changed for the Predators and everything, and, and Trotz still wasn't given as much opportunity by spending towards the cap or getting high-end talent and everything, too. He had that in D.C. He had that with Washington. He was able to train Ovechkin, and look, they won a cup. The Islanders are now consistently good, but since it's on the island, they're not getting talked about as much as the Rangers, and now the Rangers are going to get talked about even more because they have Lafayette as well as Panarin and Kako. So they have plenty of talent there, and the Islanders could go on, make a run to their conference final, and people still going to be talking about the Rangers there. Did Panarin choose to go to the Rangers before yeah. or after they hit the lottery last year? Ooh. I guess it had to be after, right? Yeah, that's be during after the playoffs. Agency, yeah. I was going to say, if he decided to go there, and then all of a sudden, without finishing <laughs> towards the bottom, they get Capo Caco and I know. Lafreniere. This is crazy. That's, uh, he's becoming the new Taylor Hall, I guess. Oh, my gosh. T- Taylor Hall. He can be a beast when, he, when he's up and going for it. So, okay, next, let's talk NHL draft. We have a clip to play from Scott Wheeler with Athletic because we, we talked about it this morning on Morning Drive. So I want to get his take on what's going to be a good fit for the Predators. We'll kind of run down where some of these players might fit for the National Predators in the NHL draft where they'll pick 11th overall. Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford. Max Hurst taking care of me behind the glass. Appreciate you joining me, Max. Appreciate you being – we're like the only two people here, aren't we? That's been me uh, every time in the building <laughs> the past five months, except for <laughs> those five Predators games we got. Gosh, I, I feel like maybe when you open the door, it's like, a human face! <laughs> I know. I, I got a lobby to get you a key card since you're one of like 12 people who have actually seen. <laughs> so you can swipe yourself into the building. Uh, I'm glad that there's human interaction for you to – to have working overnights. <laughs> well, thank you for taking care of me. Whew, talking NHL draft. The Predators are picking 11th overall. There's opportunity for the National Predators picking there. But first, let's look at some of the prospects coming up. Because one of the big changes that I've been really pushing for, and I know I'm not the only one, is that I want to see more youth coming in for this team. There's an opportunity for that by letting contracts expire. Like Craig Smith, unless he's taking a big-time hometown discount, finally let him walk. Mikhail Glanland, because it's just you have to move on now and, and eat it on that, even though I, I liked what he brought overall, but I don't think now's the time to re-sign him given how this team performed. And then especially in the third pairing, I like to see more youth there. And the reason why is you open up spots for some of these young guys to get opportunities to come in and, and show them and prove themselves. And then you don't know, possibly could be available via trade. There's also lots of talk about Kyle Turris, either finding something to trade him for, even if it's just, you know, mid to late round picks with eating some of the, the the salary on him or buying him out and that's going to take a long time to pay off two million dollars a year but it might be worth it to move on so there's all different types of things to look at changing this roster but I think it's time to give some youth some opportunity here because the Predators were the second oldest team in the playoffs or in the qualifiers because Gary Bettman made sure not to call it the actual playoffs last night. There's a little bit of a burn right there. Even though the stats count towards playoff stats, it wasn't the playoffs. So there's some players, and I know, again, people probably groan when they hear this name just because it's been talked about so long, but Ellie Tolvanen, 2017, first-round pick at number 30 overall. It's been a little up and down. I know Predators fans have had those expectations of him making this team, and he's had a brief taste of of the NHL where he played four games in 18-19 and scored his first goal against the Chicago Blackhawks. Then didn't see any time with the Predators last season, but he finally started to come into his own later in the season with the Milwaukee Admirals. Overall, in 63 games, he had 36 points, 21 goals, 15 assists. 
but that's most of those were coming later on in January, February. He's really coming to his own. Even Carl Taylor talked about it, how he's learning, he's teaching. Carl Taylor's a great teacher of a coach. That's one guy I'd like to see get an opportunity towards. You're basically showing him, here's your opportunity to earn your roster spot. You're not battling necessarily anybody else for it, but earn it. And if you don't, you're, we're, we're done. And while there's still potential to trade him with value, you can you can get rid of that for maybe a third or a fourth, potentially. I mean, shoot, David Poyle was able to trade Jimmy Vesey for a third-round pick, even though they knew he wasn't going to sign over to the, Ra- to the Rangers. He pulled that off, at least. You got something out of nothing that you knew you weren't going to get. So... Give him the opportunity. Philip Tomasino. We're going to talk about him a lot as well. Philip Tomasino, prospect taken in last year's draft, 24th overall in the 2019 draft. Really like Philip Tomasino. He now plays with the Oshawa Generals. He's with the Niagara Ice Dogs. And last season in 56, sorry, in 36 games for the Ice Dogs, he had 57 points. And in 26 games, he had 43 points for the Oshawa Generals. He's ready to, to attempt to make that jump. So let's see what he does in camp. He was here for return to play camp. We didn't see him in any of the big sessions, but at least he was here and around the coaching staff, around a lot of the players to get to know them better and to get to know the systems and everything. Opportunity to give him a chance. Now remember, Philip Tomasino, we have this unique situation here. If he's not playing in the NHL, he can't go to the AHL. He'd have to go back to juniors because of the agreement with the NHL and the Canadian Hockey League. So... You can't just say, well, plop him in Milwaukee, let him get more seasoning. It can't happen. You have to spend another year in junior before he could even be eligible for the AHL. That's just the rules. That's the way they are. So he's too good right now, really, for the OHLs. That unique situation we saw with Ryan Ellis before, we saw with Seth Jones, where there's not much more they can accomplish in their junior teams, but you want to make sure they're ready for the NHL, going up against a lot bigger bodies. Tomasino's a little lanky right now. He's six foot, 181 pounds is what he's listed at. So he, he can definitely add some more muscle mass. Igor Afanasyev, another big kid. He is 6'4", 201 pounds, and I think he needs another year of seasoning in the OHL before he's ready to compete for a roster spot, but it's going to be there. He's that power forward in the making for the Natural Predator. So I'm really excited to see what he has coming for him. 67 points in 62 games for the Windsor Spitfires and also playing Team Russia in the, in the under-20 uh, in the international play right now. It has been impressive to see him and see him come into his own because he's that power forward that can score, has a deadly shot, can use his big frame and his big body, and also be a power play specialist, which is what you'd love to see out of the Russian. So at number 11, Scott Wheeler today on Morning Drive asked him what would be a potential good fit for the Natural Predators. So here's Scott Wheeler. Picking 11th isn't necessarily all bad because the, the type of draft this is, there's some good deep talent there, and looking at some projections already and rankings, and uh, Corey Pronman said at – Number 11, Jack Quinn, who's a right wing, and then we've seen some other ones say possibly Seth Jarvis, who's a center, some people wanting uh, Askarov, the, the goaltender as well. What do you think is going to be a great fit for the Predators and the system that they have now and what they truly do need to keep their windows slightly open over the next few years? I still think a, a forward makes the most sense at number 11. I believe that this draft is eight sort of top-end players deep. I, I'd be surprised if any of those players, seven of which are forwards, are, are still available at 11. But it's not completely out of the question that one of those players drops every year. We we seem to have forwards that drop as, as teams inevitably take defensemen near the top of the draft. And this year in particular is really interesting because there aren't very many high-end defensemen. There's really only two defensemen at the top of the draft. And I think if you see three or four defensemen go in that top 10, like you typically do see in an average draft year, then suddenly one of those forwards that's really high on my board could begin to slip. So I think Jack Quinn it could be a player there for them if, if those forwards that I that I sort of hinted at aren't available. 
And I think, I mean, you hit you hit the nail on the head with players like Seth Jarvis and Jack Quinn. I, I think that's the good fit there. Even after taking Tomasino a year ago and sort of beginning to rebuild the, the, the strength of the prospect pool as forward, I still think you can go back to that well this year. I still think that's the right play overtaking a defenseman or overtaking Yaroslav Askarov. I think between Connor Ingram and, and UC Saros that they've got a good thing going in that. I, I'm really, really a big fan of Connor Ingram and his potential to be an NHL goalie and maybe even a starting NHL goalie. So there are options there for them in that. And, and I don't think they have to be one of the teams that takes the plunge on Askarov as good as he is as a goalie prospect and as legitimate he, as he is as a goalie prospect. So I think they probably go forward there and that means you're if you're lucky, you're looking at one of those seven big forwards that I that I hinted at. And if not, I think players like Jack Quinn and Seth Jarvis and Dylan Holloway and some of the other top forwards in the draft make some sense. So there's a little bit of insight from Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. And I have a future considerations scouting guide here. It costs some money, but it's worth the investment because, boy, oh, boy, is that a lot of great information there. Here's what some scouts are saying. So, for instance, Jack Quinn, he's a right wing with auto 67s. On his offensive awareness, he can be a playmaker or a shooter and has the patience to allow plays to come to him rather than forcing them. I love his play in the offensive zone. That's uh, that's pretty good. Offensive awareness, this is on Connor Zeri, a center in the Kamloops Blazers. It is so difficult to pin down a player with the mental flexibility and awareness that Zeri possesses as he exploits mistakes so effectively. When defenders collapse on him, he'll find the open teammate. When they sag off, he'll attack the net. He's equally comfortable in a run-and-gun game as he is in the physical slog. That's some pretty impressive things there. And then Dawson Mercer's another one. I think Adam Vingan had this in his article on The Athletic. He's a center with the Shakutami uh, Saganins. Boy, oh boy, I need to practice that one because went out of the queue. I, I try to do my best. I, I try to do my best, Max. So this is the scouting report on him from Future Considerations. Although not fastest, Mercer displays every game incredible shiftiness and edge work. His elusive skating and excellent agility make him a dangerous threat in transition, while his great quickness and mobility helps him escape pressure along the board and skate through traffic with dexterity. I like that scouting report because elusive skating and excellent agility make him a dangerous threat in transition. As we see, the transition game is huge in the NHL right now. And if you can have skaters that help with the transition game to where you're not having to rely on Roman Yossi all the time to enter the zone, let's get some forwards that can help you enter the offensive zone instead of depending on your defenseman all the time so you really are driving play. And maybe so you don't have a player be offside when they shouldn't be offside because the forwards are the ones that are entering the offensive zone with the puck. That would be fantastic. Not throwing any shade. <laughs> not throwing any shade at all. That'd be fantastic. So we'll dive more into the NHL draft just as it progresses because that's not until October. And it's middle August. Hopefully right now. it's not till October. <laughs> October's the target date. October the target month. We don't even yeah. have a date set. I mean there's there's some potential dates set out there, but that's when they're just hoping for is is October to be the draft and free agency. Yes, the month when the NHL season typically begins is when we're going to have free agency and the NHL draft. But I do like a lot of these these picks out there. I do think the Predators should go forward and just continue to build that cupboard back up in the system. And I like a lot of these guys that, are, that hopefully will be available at 11 for the Preds. Or even if they look at some guys based on what they see from scouting reports, guys that maybe are ranked a little bit lower than 11, but they might be a good fit. It's a deep draft. Like Wheeler said, top eight kind of elite talent. But still hovering around there, you're going to get guys that still can make a definite impact and be um, legitimate NHL players for a long time coming. So looking forward to the NHL draft and the coverage there. We'll have more of that on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Okay, 
Up next, the prep hockey season doesn't start for a little bit. September is when they get going with practices, and October is when the season starts. But with everything that's happened in college football, with high school sports, TWSAA coming out with their own safety precautions, but especially with what's going on in the college football landscape, I wanted to bring on some folks to talk about the high school hockey because it's not connected to the TWSAA. So up next, we're going to have John Williams, who's the president of the Greater Nashville Area Scholastic Hockey Association and Dr. James Loesch, who's with Next Level Sports Medicine. He is the medical advisor to prep hockey here in Middle Tennessee. That's up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Max Hurst taking care of me behind the glass there. He's multitasking. He's a genius back there. Spinning the tunes, handling the phones, dealing with me, but only two in here. Human contact. Wow. I think the majority of the time in my life I've seen Justin Bradford, it's been separated by a pane of glass in a small space because <laughs> it's either in the radio studio or in between the penalty boxes at a Vandy hockey game. That's very true. I was just about to say that. Max do it, did play-by-play for Vandy for a long time. That was great. Oh Boy, that's memories, man. It was a while ago. All right, up next, let's talk some prep hockey. On the line with us right now, we have John Williams. He's the president of GNASH, GNASH being the Greater Nashville Area Scholastic Hockey. It's the organization that is in charge of prep hockey here in Middle Tennessee. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Justin. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely. So especially with what we're seeing so much, and it's changing almost daily or even hourly when we're seeing yeah. it in sports right now. And, and yesterday you even spoke with the assistant executive director of the TSSAA, Matthew Gillespie, just to see about high school sports there regarding especially football, soccer going on, all these safety precautions and everything. But Gene Ash being, being separate from that and especially taking place at the three rinks that we see here in Nashville and kids are getting back to school, meaning practices will be going in, in a few weeks here in the season starting in October wanted to touch base on what are some of the safety precautions that are going to be in place for these student-athletes to keep them safe so they can continue on with their season? Yeah, great question. By the way, Dr. Loesch said to try to call back, by the way. <laughs> um, it was something, some, something with his phone. So, yeah, it's, it's very fluid, as you might imagine. We've got three rinks in, in Davidson County, as, as most know, between the two Ford centers in, in Antioch and in Bellevue, and then um, – Centennial Sportsplex uh, off of West End Avenue, and they have just been phenomenal to work with over the summer as kids have been out there either training uh, with other organizations or having some private ice with their with their clubs. And as of right now, and to your point, it's fluid. It, it tends to change on a weekly and sometimes a daily basis. But um, uh, the amount of people that can come in has been, hey, 18 or if you have a, a, a son or daughter who's 18 or under, they can have a guardian with them, but no one else. Uh, no more than 25 on the ice at, at any given time, which is which is typically fine. But not all rinks are are, are going to have the exact same um, numbers right now. That's going to change. Certainly, mask and social distance and that sort of thing. What we are hoping, and, and one of the things that I really am happy about, is we um, tried as best we could to align our season with. Uh, Mayor Cooper's guidelines of no interscholastic activities until after Labor Day. So what our hopes and fingers crossed and, and lots of prayers and all that is that things will sort of start to normalize once September gets here and hopefully by the time that games begin, uh, we can have more people on the ice, more people in the stands. But at this point, we are uh, we're going at business as usual 
in hopes that things uh, normalize a bit. Completely understandable. Now we bring in Dr. James Loesch. He is with Next Level Sports Medicine. He's the medical advisory uh, board member for GNASH. So, Dr. Loesch, welcome to the show. And just first of all, let's let's get your opinion on this as well, especially being a, a doctor that's practicing and, and seeing all this. What role did you take in making sure some of these precautions were taking place in GNASH to make sure the student-athletes, the hockey players, especially a full-contact sport like that, were taking the proper precautions to be safe while playing the game? Well, thank you, Justin, for having me today, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I think the most important thing was is to have a uh, a medical advisory board uh, that specializes in several different fields, with my especially being sports medicine, uh, as well as having Dr. Bernetto as being a ER physician, Dr. McDonald as a family physician, and Dr. Millstone as a pulmonologist, critical care specialist. I think uh, having that broad spectrum of medical specialists uh, to really tackle an unprecedented virus uh, that's basically occurring in our community and trying to find the most simple way that we can restore uh, confidence in uh, resuming sports. And I think one of it, uh, the steps that we took that we wanted to echo along with our community members and the physicians that we support and the hospitals that we support in the area was to keep with the guidelines of consistent hand washing, uh, wearing a mask, and then social distancing uh, with six feet being apart. I think those are very important, simple steps that you can do. I think in the families at GNASH, thinking not only of the players, but also the coaching staff and the families that will accompany the players and athletes, I think it's very important that we, we focus on what the rules are uh, that are in the community at each of the rinks. Uh, we've had uh, several organizations have tryouts over the summer, which basically provided us with a litmus test of what it was going to be if we were to resume at the high school level. And with that being said, we saw fantastic results uh, with these three basic rules of social distancing, hand washing, and wearing masks that were able to get uh, huge tryouts of, of hundreds of kids together over a small period of time. Might have lost Dr. Loesch right there. <laughs> so, John, we'll go back to you, especially as yep. we work on getting uh, Dr. Loesch back. Looking at this as well, especially like Dr. Loesch said, getting input from so many different people as well. And I get the emails. I see about the different board meetings happening and everything as well. Plenty of parents are a part of this. So parents have a big say. And as we all know, across the spectrum, there's so many Simple different people. different That we can, we can handle this uh, moving forward. And thank, thank you, Dr. Loesch. Sorry, we, we lost you there for a second there. Uh, so, John. Okay, I'm sorry. No, all good, all good. So, John, looking at this with parental input, what has been the input from a lot of these parents at these board meetings and what they wanted to see out of this league just to make sure, especially with people having – there's so many different opinions on all this. No matter where we stand, obviously we just want the children to be safe. We want them to be able to play this game. We want them to be safe while doing it and seeing all the different aspects of this. So what was it like getting feedback from all the parents of the student-athletes? Yeah, great question. So as, as you know, our board meetings are made up of, of folks who are typically parents of, uh, of players, and we, you know, we are always open to getting emails, phone calls from, from anyone um, who has a student-athlete playing. And one of the things we did as a board towards answering your question is 
we wanted to make sure that anything that we do as a league, as an organization, is not uh, political in, in any way, uh, which is why we now have a medical advisory committee so we can look at this through, through the lens of uh, uh, what professionals are saying, what the medical community is saying. That way, when we do have these conversations with parents, uh, they know that, to your point, first and foremost, health and safety are, are A number one, whether there's a pandemic or not. You know, Dr. Loesch has a lot of experience with concussion medicine and, and making sure that they're, that they're safe there. Uh, and I think so far, crossing our fingers again, so far the, the feedback has been really, really good uh, because they, they seem to trust that what we're doing medically and, and having professionals advise us how we're watching what our, our government officials are saying, whether it's Mayor Cooper or Governor Lee, and, and even to uh, – keeping an eye on TSSAA, to your point earlier, GNASH is not uh, governed by the TSSAA, but it's sure nice to see, hey, these are the same kids sometimes with the, in the same schools walking down the same halls. And uh, we just sort of made a promise to our, our parents that we are going to do the best thing that we can for our, for our kids, your kids. Uh, again, as a parent, uh, that's that, all I can ask for and all they can ask for. So the feedback has been really good. Uh, it's going to be interesting as September approaches, uh, as the guidelines hopefully change a little bit, um, what, what the reaction might be. But uh, our promise is we're going to do everything everything we can to make sure that it's, it's a safe environment. And that's that's fantastic to hear. Now, back over to, to Dr. Loesch, uh, who's part of Next – with Next Level Sports Medicine. Dr. Loesch, we talk about this a lot, too, and we've seen it with college football right now, especially coaches talking about it, but it's something that's important to me as well as looking at the mental health of the student-athletes and just overall mental health, what we've seen during this pandemic of just people being stuck inside and we know is important for people to have human contact and to be social even while being distantly apart physically. But the, the what we're seeing here, too, is the opportunity for student-athletes to be able to play the game they love, to have that interaction with other people student athletes and to be doing things and have ritual and be able to participate in physical physical activity but doing it safely how much of a part has mental health taken place in this medical advisory board and trying to make sure that this thing is getting pulled off correctly justin that's an excellent point i'm glad you brought that up i think with having a sport in your life it not only provides uh, physical well-being but it also provides mental well-being um, with social interaction you know humans are very social interactive people, and they really want to be out there in the community. Um, we've noticed that since the time where the pandemic has started, we've seen a rise in, in mental health, uh, especially with suicide rates that have increased by a third, uh, which is a huge number uh, given our youth athletes. So I think it's very important that people get out, stay healthy. Uh, we do say in, in sports medicine that exercise is medicine. Uh, it provides us with the ability for physical well-being, mental well-being, proper sleep, proper health and recovery. Uh, so we do emphasize the need that sports is there. And I think with this, like you said, with this reintroduction back into sport, if we can make it a safe environment, I think we will be uh, very uh, – we'll be on the front lines of trying to get the kids back into a, a normal routine in a very unprecedented time. Uh, focusing not on their physical but their mental uh, health and well-being. I think that's very important for kids to socially interact uh, and, and continue with their guidelines of safety. So 
That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, it's very important that kids uh, stay um, stay healthy, both mentally and physically. No, it absolutely is, and it's just been a, a focal point of so many different things. We want to make sure that we cover that. And so congratulations to you guys for, for being able to go through and dive in and do a lot of the work and research to prepare because we see some other leagues out there, college football, that seems like they're just coming up with things off a whim. <laughs> and so for Gene Ash to have been working on this, as I've seen, Gene Ash has been working on this all summer. This has been something that has been discussed for a very long time. It's not something that has been rushed or anything like that. So just wanted to congratulate you guys on doing the work to make sure that these student athletes are going to stay safe while playing the game that they love you bet thank you so much all right folks. thank you justin i appreciate you absolutely thanks for joining me john williams the president of the greater nashville area scholastic hockey association and dr james loesch of the next level sports medicine great to have them on just to get an idea of what's going on with prep hockey here in middle tennessee as that season is approaching as well we're seeing just so much to change in the landscape Fairly controlled environment, though, at least with prep hockey. Obviously, you can't control what they're doing outside of the rink, but within the rink, they're taking the right precautions there. So just very curious to see and hope that that's able to get pulled off. They're able to do it and do it safely. So I want these kids to be able to play the sport that they love and potentially be seen and go on to a different level, whether it's junior or even potentially college. We'll see. Up next, we have lots of questions from varying things. I'm going to get Max in on some of these questions that came in on Twitter. <laughs> Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Max Hur is behind the glass. Sorry, I got caught listening there, Max. I know you like to jam, so I've brought the big stuff today. You are very right about that. I love me some bump music. Mr. Ryan Porth will jump right in two seconds into the bump song, I know, and he's been called out on that before from producers. I will jam (laughs) to some bump songs. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer to when you're supposed to start talking. I, I usually wait for a beat to drop, or I wait to because I'm counting the beats and counting. I'm counting the measures to make sure I'm coming in I feel at like an appropriate I'm in music time. Class, hey man, I mean musician. Well, was a musician. Worked in music. Oh, furlough sucks. All right, <laughs> let's get to our questions here. As the Tampa Bay Lightning and Columbus Blue Jackets ended fourth overtime, going to. Fifth overtime, holy moly. Okay, as the Carolina Hurricanes and the Boston Bruins are just sitting there waiting, basically, right now. They're, they're waiting, and they're having fun on Twitter. They're having a lot the of fun. The Canes were uh, in the Raptors' like practice Oh, my gym. gosh. The, the Blue Jackets, who are participating in this, but their social media account said this game is longer than a CVS receipt, which I think is very, very accurate. And then the Carolina Hurricanes, their tweet base was a copy-paste. Did you just see this, Justin? They just pushed the game to tomorrow morning. Pierre Lebrun. Oh, my gosh. 10 a.m. Central tomorrow, Canes-Bruins, game one. There we go. Pierre Lebrun So saying, now we can have more games affected by the inevitable triple overtime game tomorrow. Wow. There, there it is. 10 a.m. Central start. <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes, Boston Bruins being pushed to 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. So Wednesday morning hockey is going to take place. Well, here's the thing. When you're in a bubble like that, there's nothing else going on at the arena, right? Now, what's going to be hilarious is if that game goes to multiple overtimes and they have to keep on delaying things. This is just this is 2020. This is totally 2020. Okay, wanted to address some questions here that we got in. Sam Fleming is asking, who do you think would be a good pick for the Preds at 11 if available? Also, a food question, McDougal's or Hattie B's? I'm going to answer the food one first. I'm going McDougal's. I can appreciate hot chicken, 
but it's I'm not a spicy foods person as much. Hattie B's I know is, is great, but I love McDougal's. Max, have you had either one? You've been in Nashville for a while now. What was the question? I'm sorry. McDougal's or Hattie B's? Oh, I guess Hattie B's. All right. I think Hattie. I don't know if I would say Hattie B's is the best hot chicken available, but their sides are very underrated. Big okay, Hattie B's fair. mac and cheese and crinkle fries. Very, yeah. very fair. Very fair. And as far as number 11, right now I'm leaning towards someone like Jack Quinn is what I'm leaning towards. Uh, Seth Jarvis as well was a center, and people roll their eyes at center. It's like you need centers because not all of them are going to work out. You just you always are needing centers so you don't have to trade for them. And we've seen the Predators have to trade or sign in free agency centers. So why not actually try to draft them high so you don't have to worry about buying them? Just my take on that one. Okay, Tyler's asking about Nashville sports loyalty being a thing. Feels like in this town you have to be pretty dreadful at your job to get fired, cut, unsigned. And the bevy of third, fourth liners with long-term deals makes it hard to create organic roster turnover. Needs to happen less often going forward and also says that it's not just Preds. It's Titans in the past. It's Vanderbilt before, too, is what he's saying there. I think this is actually some changing, finally. That, that culture of being overly loyal is changing. I think it's definitely done with the Titans. It's done with the Titans, yeah. They're, they're, in, they're in that moment of, okay, we see an open window here. Time to get the people in here that we think are going to win. Because with Malarkey, they were, they were in the playoffs, and they still didn't like what he was doing. They, they wanted to make changes, and he didn't. Gone. Bringing somebody else. And, well, I mean, hey, they made a run, right? That works there. And then the Predators, finally... Two, you saw that change of Barry Trotz, which it was just time, even though you still like him overall, it was just time to make a change. And then Laviolette, I think it was time as well. Was the timing correct with for Peter Laviolette? That is a question for, I think, another day. But you see that lo- over-loyalty now is they realize that if you want to win championships, you have to make changes sometimes. And I'm not saying only one year or two years sometimes with some of these sports, but when it's time, it's time, and you, you just got to pull it. You have to make a change. And when it comes to over-loyalty, I think that is finally changing. I think it's because Nashville is in the next generation of being a, a pro sports market, too. Before, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was like, we're just happy to have them. Yes, the, the Titans made their run to the Super Bowl, but the Predators, it took six years for them to make the playoffs. And it was a just happy that they're here right now, we're going to enjoy this. Then the expectations change. And especially with the Titans later on, it, it was you know mediocrity for a long time. But then later on, you start seeing elements of, hey, if we make some moves here, we, we, we can win a championship. Same thing with the Predators. Okay, going to spend money, going to spend money to bring in players, going to spend money to bring in a coach, going to spend draft picks and trade these things away to try to keep this window open and win a championship. So I think that's finally changing. It just took a generation for that to happen. I don't think – I think you could even reterm it. It's not necessarily taking too long to make changes. It's being willing to take more risks. There you go. With yes. the Preds. I think that's yeah. what it is. I, I fully agree with that. That is a great way to look at it, too. And it, it took time, but now they're willing to take some risk. And the thing we all know when it comes to being a general manager in any sport, it is a lot of risk-taking, a lot of gambling, and does it always work out? No. I mean, look at the draft at any sport. How many draft picks? What's the percentage of draft picks that actually play more than five years professionally? Very, very low. I mean, some of the NHL picks won't even step foot on this continent right. in their life. God, there's so many out there. Even just in the top 30, they don't have a picture on elite prospects. 
So who knows with that? Okay, Julie is asking about three reasons you believe Yusuf Saros is a real full-time NHL starting goaltender and can lead the Preds post-Pekka. Three reasons why you believe he may not be the guy to start full-time for the Preds. That is a very good question. That's a very good question because it is it is a legit question right now as we go into this and see what we have with Saros. With Yusuf Saros, what I see there too is he does have some explosive abilities, but he's been a slow starter. And I do not want to bring size into this. I don't want to bring size into this because size, I don't think, should be a discussion right now unless you're talking about that bloop goal where just because Pecorini's taller, it probably wouldn't have went in just because he's taller. But overall, in terms of athletic ability, in terms of reading the puck, in terms of just being able to stop the puck from going in the net, that's what we want to look at and evaluate here. So with Yusuf Saros, I believe overall we haven't seen eliteness out of him. Now, in the past, have goaltenders won Stanley Cups by not being elite? Absolutely. (laughs) You can be an average goaltender and still win Stanley Cups. We've seen it plenty of times because the team in front of them was putting enough goals in the other side that they didn't have to worry about much if they were allowing three in the other way. That's fine. I think right now, Yusuf Saros is an average goaltender. That's okay. Because you're so used to Pecorine being elite at so many times in his career, especially the last time we really saw him at elite levels, which, which is Vezina season, when he was elite. And you haven't seen a different goaltender in this market since the last decade. Dan Ellis, at the end of the 2000s, was the last time you saw a different goaltender starting in the playoffs for the Predators. So it's understandable to be questioning this because it is a time of change. So why he could be the thing going forward by the, be the goaltender going forward is that he's at least average and can make above average saves and can show flashes of brilliance and that's okay elite goaltenders are not just coming around all the time you don't always find them in a round that doesn't exist anymore in the nhl draft like he did with pecorine who has set so many different records and if he just had a cup i think would be a lock for the hall of fame but it's gonna be tough now you would know so much better than i would justin saros's biggest above average skill is rebound control right mm-hmm yeah, I would. I, That's huge. It is to have so early in a career with a potential ten years of control, depending yeah. on what he's willing to be paid. And one thing that Saros obviously needs to work on, I think people can agree, because you're so used to Pecorini, is puck control when you play in the puck. That's everybody's problem. It is. But Pecorini was overall really good at it. People still got nervous when Rini would do it, and he's one of the best. <laughs> that's what's that's what's funny about the situation. So Rini's one of the best. People still would get nervous. Like, oh, go back to the net. It's like he's one of the best uh, ones. That's in the what league. the NHL wants too, and they yeah. put the trapezoids in. I mean, they they want goalies to turn the puck over behind the net. That's yeah. what the league wanted. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Johnny's asking, what happens first? The Preds franchise wins a Stanley Cup or wins the first overall pick? I would say, in term, if you're a betting person, the first overall pick is more likely just because of what it takes to get that compared to the Stanley Cup. I'm not saying that's what I want to happen. I just think if you're betting, the odds would be in that favor comparatively because it is an actual lottery that happens with the first overall pick. Max, anything to add to that one? Because it just it's tough to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to look good either way there. No, thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. Kennedy asks, Hulu or Netflix? Depends on what I want to watch. Comedy or documentaries? I'm watching Netflix. And then Hulu is when I'm watching Nostalgia or watching things I missed on network TV. So right now I've been watching Family Matters, starting from season one and moving on. And Hulu has all of Family Matters. And I've been loving watching some nostalgic TV with family lessons during each and every show. <laughs> I've loved that. I love that. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you miss any of the show, you can find it at penaltyboxradio.com. 
More coverage out there, the NHL Draft coming to PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Plenty of other podcasts you can listen to from us there as well. So for Max Herz, this is Justin Bradford. Thanks for listening to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.